Hello, and welcome back to Franklin Covey's newest podcast, C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller. That's me. I'm your host each week. You may also recognize me or be hearing my voice for numerous times because I'm privileged to host Franklin Covey's other podcast, now the world's largest weekly leadership podcast called On Leadership with Scott Miller. And after, uh, you know, tens of millions of listens and views and hundreds of episodes, what we learned is it wasn't always the best-selling author or the business titan or the celebrity from Hollywood that got the most listens and interviews. It was often the people like you and I that had these remarkable careers that teased out insights that we could replicate from them. And so we spun off this new podcast now in its second year where each week I have the privilege of sitting with someone at a different level in the C-suite from different walks of life and different industries. And today I'm delighted to be interviewing Adita Javari Gokhale. She is the chief strategy officer amongst also being the president of retail investments and the head of institutional investments at Northwestern Mutual, perhaps the world's longest title, but well-deserved. When you hear her journey, you'll know why she has multiple responsibilities. Aditi, welcome to C-Suite Conversations. Thank you so much, Scott. It's, it's an honor and a privilege uh, to be a part of this podcast. So thanks for the invitation. Scale of one to 10, one being low, 10 to high. How well did I massacre your name? You got about an eight. Um, oh, you, no. messed up, you messed up the first name. You said Adita. It's Aditi. Aditi. But... Thank you. Thank you. Well, you might pre-forgive me. I'm doing my best. So no, no disrespect at all. Uh, Not at all. I appreciate you joining today. Uh, I know you've got lots of things going on. Um, Aditi, let's talk about your career journey that led you to your current role at Northwestern Mutual. A fascinating career, not all in financial services. You have had some deliberate and perhaps serendipitous turns around. Can you give everybody a bit of a reorientation to how you landed in the C-suite at Northwestern? Sure. So career journey has been uh, full of uh, triumphs, tribulations, um, you know, being with uh, working for over 25 years of my life and uh, started my career um, in management consulting and then moved from management consulting to uh, American Express, Travelocity, Nutrisystem. Uh, much of my career journey before Northwestern Mutual was uh, focused on either turnaround kind of situations or transformations. And then, of course, I've spent the last seven years at Northwestern Mutual um, being a client of Northwestern Mutual much before I um, uh, took on the C first chief marketing officer role at, um, at Northwestern Mutual. So um, it's been exciting. Uh, my, my areas of focus over the last 25 years have ranged from customer experience to managing larger and larger P&Ls to technology to digital transformations to uh, uh, marketing. And of course, now uh, managing over half a trillion uh, of assets for Northwestern Mutual. You know, it might find this surprising to our viewers, but you and I have a lot in common. We both went to Northwestern. I mean, you went there and I once like visited there because my brother went to Northwestern, but we do have in common <laughs> that we were both the first chief marketing officers. You at Northwestern and me at Franklin Covey, so we have that marketing background. I think of all the stories I've heard you tell or heard about you is you share a story about creating a culture that isn't addicted to urgency, but really having a culture that's built around what's important and kind of some level of sanity. It has to do with hot off the press, 
papers and a freezer involved. Would you like set the tone today and share this riotous but relatable story and maybe how it's impacted the way you lead and build culture now at Northwestern Mutual? Sure. So, so I think, Scott, what you're referring to is early on in my career. And of course, I was uh, the most junior person, uh, you know, in, in, in the company. And, um, you know, I, I, I had an, an amazing experience with the company. But I think one of the things that was, uh, was kind of interesting is when we were presenting our strategies or our, um, uh, you know, analysis to our clients, everything was done up until the last second and so to to make sure that our clients knew that we were sort of working at a decent pace uh when we printed out the material the binders they were still the printer printed them out and they were pretty warm so my job was to take that and put it in the freezer for a bit just so that it cooled off before we handed those presentations to the client so i i i found that interesting. I'm glad you caught on that. Um, and the way it ties to my leadership style, um, and, and you know, I sort of mentioned this to my team that we are not in the business of saving lives, right? So let's provide context in the way we operate. I wouldn't say there isn't a level of urgency, but it isn't a, it, let's not be in this sort of constant fire drill mode. Let's set aggressive, ambitious targets and goals. Let's all be aligned in terms of clarity of purpose of why we're doing and why we're setting those goals. Set those roadmaps and work together to achieving those targets. So it's, it's you know, as I say, a career is, is, is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Uh, the work we do is over the long term and it's important to get that perspective. You know, I appreciate you sharing that, Aditi, because I think all of us have a propensity to be urgency addicted, right? We're trying to be long-term thinkers in a short-term world. Those of us that work for sales organizations or public companies are very cordially driven. And without, without intentionality, all of us that are well-intended can get caught up into that sort of frenetic cycle. And at the end of the day, the leader sets the culture. And a lot of us are urgency addicted. And to create that culture that is both sort of a bias to action, but recognizing that, you know, we're not all saving lives, but we do have promises to be kept and deliverables to be met. And so I think it's a great story. It's a great metaphor. You know, do we need to take the binder to the freezer or can we actually maybe plan a little bit ahead? And I know it's not that simple, but I love the story. Thank you for your transparency yeah, the, there. You know, the only other thing I would add to that is I think it is also reflective of what the culture is in terms of the company. So before Northwestern Mutual, I've worked in public companies and Scott, you know what it is like. It's sort of quarter to quarter focused. And that creates a level of urgency yeah. that a company like Northwestern Mutual, which is mutual, a mutual company, we truly do believe it's part of our DNA to thinking about what's in the best interest of our policy policyholders over the long term. So that sort of sets the tone in terms of how we think and how we operate. So that's one thing. The other thing I just sort of say from a leadership perspective is, you know, we spend most of our waking hours with people that we work with, right? right? And so you really have to have fun. You really have to feel energized. You really have to feel empowered. You have to build those trusted relationships. And that that urgency and that fire drill mode at all times is just not sustainable over the long term. Aditi, let's talk a bit about Northwestern Mutual. A key word there is mutual. It's a unique kind of company. Will you deconstruct for our listeners kind of what business you're in and how you're organized maybe differently than some other 
uh, competitive institutions? Sure. So just sort of the specifics of Northwestern Mutual, we're headquartered in Milwaukee. We do have multiple um, uh, locations in the country. Uh, from, a, from a home office perspective, we also have a location in New York City. And then, of course, we are a business-to-business-to-consumer company. And what I mean by that is it, we have almost 20,000 advisors and staff members all over, the, all over the country. Uh, we were founded in 1857. Revenue-wise, we are about 35 billion in revenues. Um, and, uh, you know, we've got about 8,000 uh, employees. So, you know, Northwestern Mutual is known to be the number one life insurance company. We also are the fastest growing independent broker dealer when it comes to the wealth side of the business. We are a mutual. And what that means is, that we are owned by our policy owners. So think about it as a large cooperative, so to speak. Every single dollar of profit that we earn, we are in the business of figuring out how to give it back in the form of dividends to our policy owners. So that's a very different mindset uh, versus working for a public company, which is where you're answerable to shareholders. So that's, that's different. The other piece that is very different in terms of the concept of mutuality is this um, is this mentality of paying it forward, which means every decision that we make today needs to be made in a way that will last for generations to come, not for just our current clients, but even clients that are, aren't born yet. So that's a very different mindset. Back to the how do we think long term and over decades? Um, that's the concept of mutuality, which is refreshing to me, having worked previously in public companies, and also allows you to really um, execute on um, massive transformations, which you probably know, Scott, take a, a period of time. Let's talk a bit about kind of the average demographic of the client you might serve. I think I read once where the average age of a a typical client might be 56 in the industry, but I think your average is, you know, close to 20 plus years younger than that. Talk about your go-to-market strategy on helping people in their 30s begin to identify their investment in insurance and life planning needs. And what kind of messaging do you tack differently to hit that client 20 years my junior? Yeah, so the way uh, we work is we, uh, we sort of... Uh, focus on what we call people with potential, the mass affluent, right? And the average age, you're right, Scott, of the industry is uh, about 52 years. We're almost in the 28 to 30 year range. That has to do with how our business works. We have advisors that we recruit from college. We have one of the largest intern programs in the country. We um, onboard them, train them in terms of uh, both uh, training them for insurance and on the wealth side of the business. And so given that it's a referral model, the natural tendency is for them to sort of reach out to friends and family. And so that sort of creates the uh, our target to be much much younger. So that's the starting point. But then, of course, there is intentionality in terms of our belief that we really want to start when an individual, a household, a family are just about starting their lives and really be a part of their entire life. Um, you know, most of our clients, whether it's on the insurance side or on the wealth side, they stay with us for over 30, 35 years. And we want to be part of that. And the way we do that is we start with planning first. So financial planning, and we call it protect and prosper, protect being the insurance side of the business. It doesn't have to be just life insurance. It could be long-term care. It could be disability insurance. And prosper, of course, is the, the wealth side. 
We start with a financial plan that sort of looks across the board in between protect and prosper. We advise on what that financial plan needs to be based on your goals today and your goals over the next 5, 10, 15 years. And then our advisors work with you on achieving those goals. So the way we started, we start where you start your life journey as an individual, as a couple or as a family. And then we want to be part of that journey. Aditi, I'm going to ask you to lower your pay grade for a moment because I think there's a thirst for knowledge out there because not <laughs> everybody has a financial plan. Not everybody has the right. proper protection. Will yep. you take a few minutes and just educate us? You're not providing advice or direction, but just kind of generally yep. ed educate us. What kind of life insurance would you recommend that people have? I know there's lots of different situations in whole and term. I have a friend that just two weeks ago, at the age of 50, passed away here in Utah, left a spouse and two young girls, no life insurance. It's, you know, just catastrophic long-term. It's incomprehensible to me. I think people don't think about their mortality. I mean, this week in my life, I've lost three friends in their 40s and 50s. I can't imagine being the income earner for your family or even, even a partial income earner and not having significant life insurance term or whole. Would you spend a minute or two on life insurance? I'm gonna talk about disability insurance and long-term care also. Sure, so you know, I again, I don't wanna recommend anything because it really truly depends on your specific situation. Right. But let me sort of start with the way it works with our advisors. There, you know, you essentially get connected to an advisor. You can do that through northwesternmutual.com or you get referred through somebody. The, the first meeting, and again, all of this is sort of free advice. It's not a pay to play or any of that. What I encourage most of my friends to do, and I'm truly being, you know, I'm being super transparent here because this is how I have operated. My advisor has been my um financial advisor, life coach, call him what you want to call him. Um, and he's on speed dial for the last, you know, 20 years of my life. There's just sort of a fact finding where they ask you sort of what your situation is, both your financial situation, uh, what are your hopes, goals and dreams in the short term and the long term. And this is just a conversation. Based on that, then they start to talk to you about, naturally so, the insurance side, and then of course, uh, you know, your ability to even invest in the market. So you don't have to buy anything per se. The beauty of what we provide, so let's say term life insurance with Scott, you know what that is, you can buy a term 20, right. 30. Right. Um, right. Our products and whole life insurance, of course, tends to be, uh, you know, slightly more expensive when you're paying your premiums, but our term products can be converted to whole. So we have convertible uh, term products, which is very unique in the industry. And many of our clients, they start with sort of what we call term conversion. The, the, the idea is to protect what you're building for those unforeseen, unfortunate situations, such as what you just mentioned in terms of your friends, right? Now, when you think about life insurance, it's not something that you wake up in the morning saying, I got to buy life insurance right now, right? It's not one of those things, but it is absolutely a critical part to protect your, your, yourself, protect your family and to protect your nest egg as you think about your journey of life. So that's the insurance part. Any questions on that? No, well said. Uh, so then, of course, there's the life insurance, but the other part that, you know, one should consider uh, is disability insurance, right? Like you have a certain income level um, um, and earning potential, and you need to cover that in the 
in, in case there is a disability. And so there is disability insurance. And then, of course, you've got long-term care, which is, you know, when you are older and if you need care, you want to make sure you can afford that care. So when you talk, think about insurance, there are different forms of insurance. And that's really the conversation that needs to happen with the advisor. And they truly guide you in terms of what is it that you need. So that's the insurance side. And then, of course, you got to move to the investment side where, you know, when you're early on in your career, you start with something basic. And depending on your risk tolerance level, uh, you know, whether you want to be moderate, conservative, uh, aggressive, they also try to include what you want to do in terms of your 401k, whether you want to invest in your 529s. So there's a whole planning exercise that goes on on the investment side. And that together creates a financial plan that that is very dynamic in nature. It's not a one and done thing, right? And as you have those conversations, as your earning changes, whether it goes up or down, as you have life events, uh, having a baby, buying a house, that financial plan is fluid and dynamic and it changes over a period of time. So that's what I mean by having that foundational financial plan, setting your goals and having those conversations to be able to meet your goals. Dee, let's pivot to your own career. I'd like you to take a breath and think about a leader that you worked for previously. Could have been okay. 20 years ago. Something mm -hmm. they did in their leadership style that did not sit well with you, like you did not like that, and how that has instructed your own leadership style. Think back, maybe share the example as vaguely as you'd like, but I'd like okay. to know, is there something that happened with a leader you worked with where you said, yeah, I don't want to repeat that. So I'm going to be a different kind of leader. Sure. Um, you know, I got to be honest with you. Um, if anyone says they haven't had one or two or three leaders like that, uh, they aren't being honest and transparent. And I think it's questions like these, Scott, that really are important for the audience to understand that we're all we've all gone through these challenges in life i'm going to give you two examples one is uh it was a it was um it was a leader who um probably should have spent again the learning was probably should have spent a lot more time during the interviewing process uh but really the value system the culture of the company just didn't gel with me at all um, and, you know, to be very honest with you, uh, the leader was extremely transactional in nature. Uh, for me, the learning from that is uh, you've got to really understand who you are as a person. And for me, my family uh, lives in India, most of it. And so my people at work, I see them as an extension of my family. So building relationships, having mutual respect. Uh, I know this sounds kind of basic, but let me tell you, there are many companies that don't adhere to that. Um was very important for me. And this leader just did not have that. And it was really hard for me to get jazzed up every morning and come to work and really work at my best for this leader. So the learning from that is the value system, the, what you grew up with in terms of your morals and your values and your purpose really need to match. And that's what told me that I'm not going to be uh, that kind of a leader. Um, another one actually happened to be a, a female leader in my career who um, made it really, really hard for me um, to thrive uh, for a host of reasons, maybe felt insecure of, of uh, my um, 
trajectory in the company. Um, and and uh, back to that sense of urgency was was someone that took credit for other people's work, was someone who frankly used to call me at 5.30 in the morning asking me to draft emails back to that fire drill mode, uh, was someone that expected a response immediately after an email was sent. Um, and that was just not something I felt one should be doing. Um, uh, and so again, told myself learning is, Yes, absolutely have a sense of urgency, but that urgency has to have context in terms of why the urgency is. You can't be in a fire drill mode at all times um, because that's just not sustainable and that's not what life should be. Thank you for that. Flip that script. Think of a leader somewhere along your journey that you admired and maybe you had to had stretch your own skill set to model what they were doing in their leadership style. Can you think of someone and what was the situation where they had, a, they had a very positive impact on the way you now lead uh, you know, a large stewardship inside this company. Yeah, I think I could talk about three. Uh, very early on in my career um, <clears throat> at American Express, uh, one of the leaders that I uh, worked uh, for uh, probably was one of the most approachable, humble, funny um, uh, leader, just just somebody that was so easy to talk to. Um, and, you know, as a woman, as as, as you've probably heard this, uh, for women, we we have this sort of we we create this um, uh, sort of message in our minds that we have to be all buttoned up and or we can't share our flaws. And, you know, and he just was such an extraordinarily brilliant person. Uh, but just so humble and so approachable. Um, I thrived in that environment. Uh, he pushed me outside of my comfort zone and asked me to take on challenges that I probably would never considered. So he definitely comes to mind. Um, another one that comes to mind is uh, one of my uh, female, ex-female bosses who is to this day one of my closest friends. Um, and and uh, really uh, taught me um, how to think, uh, you know, happened to be a marketer, happened to be a great strategist, and really taught me how to deal with large turnarounds and transformations and simultaneously have fun doing it, right? And it's never fun when you're dealing with a massive turnaround and or you're dealing with a massive transformation. So I think um, she definitely taught me the work hard, play hard, but also have fun and, and, and also building out teams and how do you build relationships. And I think the last one, you know, I would say is uh, uh, someone at Northwestern Mutual who who is the reason why I'm here today. Absolutely approachable, super brilliant. Uh, talk about pushing me outside of my comfort zone. I started as the first chief marketing officer for the company. From there, I then took over communications, corporate strategy, uh, then started to oversee the wealth business and now run institutional. And had it not been for his uh, belief in me, um, his uh, uh, his openness and transparency on developing me, uh, and that comes back to you need people taking chances on you and all these three leaders, I believe. Of course, you've got to work hard and deliver results, but I had all these three leaders taking a chance on me, and I think that was that's important. I mean, the common theme there was they were kind of expert at developing relationships, even if they weren't expert at it. None of us are expert, right? We all have some awkwardness, and, and we're all growing in that, but at the end of the day, Every company is a technology company now, 
And every company's in the same business. They're in the business of relationships, internally, externally. And so it's great to kind of hear you congeal all that as a theme. Let me ask I you think a question. For me, I would just take that a step further, Scott. It's not about building relationships, but it's about building trusted relationships. Um, and I think when you as a leader are able to do that, your team will go the extra mile, the extra 100 miles to deliver. And I think all these three leaders, first of all, are absolutely authentic, transparent, honest, uh, show their flaws and are, are ap and of course, super, super smart, but have built those trusted relationships of respect uh, of mutual respect. And I think that matters so much to me. And I think it matters to most people who feel like they want to have a thriving career in any company. So take that a step further. When it comes to someone who needs the skill of developing trusted relationships, what does that look like, sound like, feel like on a day-to-day -day mm -hmm. basis? So, you know, I mean, that, that comes back to, um, you know, who I am and what I've learned from all of these leaders. Um, I'm very, very open and honest and transparent. Sometimes I'm told hyper-transparent. Uh, my calendar is open to everyone. Everyone can see what I'm doing, uh, whether I'm in meetings or whether I am at my son's tennis match or whether I'm, uh, you know, I had a doctor's appointment. Um, I think that's important for the team to know that we are all human and we all have this uh, balancing act of life where there is a personal side and a professional side. Um, you know, you, you've got to lean in and get to know your team. And I think post-pandemic, that has become so important in terms of building that interconnectedness. Um, so I think building that, you know, truly, truly, not just saying, hey, how's it going? How was your weekend? Uh, did you watch the football game last night? It has to go more than that. Um, I spend that extra effort because I want to spend that extra effort. And what I've realized is that the team appreciates it. Uh, when we have our team meetings, we talk not just about work, we talk about other stuff too. Um, you know, one of the other things that I instituted during the pandemic, because we knew that we were all on these sort of Zoom calls, is an Ask a DD session for the entire function where anyone can attend it. Uh, it you, it's usually on a Friday morning and can ask me any question right from uh, what's happening with the business to what's my favorite Netflix show, right? Um, again, building that relationship of, of, um, of uh, being real, being authentic, being transparent. To me, when you do that and you lead by example, others start to do that. Uh, you know, one of the early things that I said in one of my town halls, because we were all in over Zoom, was it's okay to have dogs barking at the back. It's okay to have kids crying. It's okay to turn off the video and go get stuff done. And the 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 release of pressure that I'm told by my by my team when even making those kind of comments went a long way. So again, building trusted relationships happens over time. It's how you lean in and how, how you create that intentionality of wanting to know the other person beyond just their job and title. Beautifully said. I want to end with this question. It's a question I tend to ask most of our guests. Uh, I'm the father with my wife, uh, parenting two young, three young sons. I forgot one. Three sons. Eight, <laughs> 10, and 12. Also all playing tennis. And I want you to tell me, if you were to hire my sons 12 years from now, whatever the, whatever the age is they're coming out, what are the skills they need to succeed in 
the workforce a decade from now? I mean, I, no, independent perhaps of coding and technology skills, what are the types of skills you're looking for in new hires? So it's good to know that you have three boys and I have one and they all love tennis. So post this podcast, we should absolutely exchange notes. Oh, we'll but crush I'm you. Oh, we will crush you, Aditi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but, but I would give the same advice to your three boys as I do to mine. Uh, 20 years from now, look, it's, it's um, and I say this uh, even having been to one of the toughest universities in the world, it's not about the university you graduate from or the degree that you get. And that's great if you're truly, truly passionate about that particular area. What the, 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 the candidates that I've seen that thrive have certain elements that are extremely important in my mind. One is having grit and resilience. You know, you have got to show that you can take on challenges and overcome challenges and you've got to get through that. So having that grit and resilience over your life, I think is important. Consistency and persistency is another thing that's important. You know, showing that you have taken something on uh, and you have gone through with it, which Scott, you know, with this next generation, sometimes it's really hard to do, right? I want to do this and then I want to pivot and I want to do that. But showing that you have consistency and persistency in a particular area, whatever that area is, I think is important as you think about the next uh, the, the next sort of 20 years. And I think the third thing is to absolutely have the, the what I say, the social skills, the street smarts of, of being able to communicate confidently your ideas, your passion, your thoughts. I think that is very important in this, in this next generation. Aditi Javeri Gokhale, how'd I do? You did great, a 10 on 10. <laughs> Aditi, thank you for joining our podcast today. It's so refreshing to hear someone at the C-suite that's able to articulate your company's culture and mission and value proposition in a way that everyone can understand. It's clear that you are on the marketing side, but it's delightful to see how well you can bring it down to the common person's level. Uh, I'll tell my brother you said hello and honored that you joined us today on our podcast. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you. And we'll see you back next week for a new conversation from the C-Suite.